Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ooh. Welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water. Do you believe we have a great show for you guys today? Matthew McConaughey joins the boys. So buckle on in, put your horns up, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws because they're free. So 297, coming hotter at you guys. And so 296. And I'm joined on this one by Alex Tossman, the Octosopolis, Nikki Snacks Kreider, and Matthew McConaughey. But first and foremost, Happy New Year, everybody. Great way to start off 2021. Put the ugly 2020 in the past. Feeling good and sprite about this one. Um, despite certain things going on in the media today. Hoping for the best at the end of the week. And onward and forward to some really good things to happen for us and our listeners. Green lights. Green lights, baby. Giving green lights to everybody. Just go, go, go. Speaking of yes. Yes. speaking of green lights. Green dollars. Green dollars. Yeah. As in cash, as in quiche, yeah. as in something we all want a little bit more of. We're gonna get some in the stimulus, but if you want some extra dollars. I heard Biden's coming in hot, by the way, with more stimmies. More stimmy dollars. Yeah. If you want some extra dollars, yeah. you can go to betonline.ag, play some bets today. Um, this upcoming weekend, we've got some some playoff games, some playoff football games. Obviously, the NBA is back, mm-hmm. so there's plenty of things to bet on. Um, if you read Matthew McConaughey's book, you can see that he has put a few bets down here and there. On the Super Bowl, he's placed some fat dollars in the Super Bowl. That's right, in the, the mid-90s. The Bills. Buffalo Bills yeah. and the Dallas Cowboys, and he and his brother Pat, I believe, yeah. uh, it was put some put some fat stacks down on the Bills. They missed every single bet. They had like f- five or six different prop bets. Pretty crazy day in Vegas that they had. And if they had won, it would have been a a pretty penny. But they uh, 
they went home with no dollars in their pockets, but with their heads held high. Fun, fun in their hearts. <laughs> fun in their hearts. Fun, but you could go up with heads held high and money home, bet on the MVP race, go Team Rogers, bet on Offensive Player of the Year, bet on all that good stuff. You could even put money on the 2021 Heisman, which I think I'll be doing on Clemson's next quarterback. Uh, catch me outside with that one. But you could bet, really bet on anything there, um, futures and all that good stuff. Go win money. I put a bet down on... New Year's, not New Year's, maybe it was New Year's second day, so January 2nd. We, I knew we were having McConaughey, felt it in my heart. Mac Brown, old boy, was playing AM, totally blanked at both the Williams and Carter, the UNC running backs were out and threw, threw on UNC money line and missed. But it happens. It happens to the best of us. But it's not going to deter me from going to betonline.ag and signing up getting the welcome bonus and all that good stuff. And yeah. it's not going to deter me from enough of the chitter chatter and welcome you guys to one that we are super pumped about, really excited for, uh, but had on the docket for a little bit now. And we really hope you enjoy our show. So without further ado, the charity strike presents Matthew McConaughey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it in our introduction. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce our next guest. We have Oscar winner, Professor, Minister of Culture, one-time boxer and wrestler at one point in Africa, and now New York Times best-selling author Matthew McConaughey joining the show. Mr. McConaughey, how you doing? Good morning, gang. How we doing? I like that introduction. Ah, uh, th- thanks, man. You do it enough times, you get pretty decent. A long horn way. Yeah, right. Uh, well, yeah, the book, man. This thing right here, Green Lights. Yeah. We all had the pleasure of reading it. A lot of themes, a lot of excellent stuff going on in the book. One overarching thing was commitment. Your level of commitment, like we brought up in the boxing and wrestling match in Africa, your level of commitment in the duelies when you're staying with them in Australia, and even your level of commitment in your career when you wanted to take a break from acting and then go and try to find that role that really spoke to you. Yeah. You such a, have such a high level of commitment. So my question to you is, when you're entering a new medium of creativity, you know, as artists, we want to relieve ourselves, but we also want to put stuff out there that people enjoy. Was there a moment when writing this or publishing this or editing this book that you thought about decommitting from the project and not going through with it? No, th- there was never. And, and you know, two, two parts, I think I mentioned the book I'm going to bring up here. Yeah. You know, before the commitment, it's the answering the question to yourself, what are you going to take the risk on? Yeah. And what's the greater risk? I mean... You know, whether it's a project, whether it is taking taking the risk to take that wrestling match challenge in the middle of Africa, where I'm like, oh, shit, man, I don't know what could it, I could end up bloody and I could end up dead from this thing. I yeah. don't know, but I'm going to take the risk, right? And it turned out to be a good risk. I've taken a bunch of risk in my life, but measuring which risk to take, you know, getting, you know, asking my now wife to marry me was a bigger risk. My pastor told me, because what's a bigger risk for you to carry on? Sort of as single two people living living together and enjoying each other, or to take the risk of actually asking her hand in marriage. Well, I all of a sudden saw it saw it that way different. Took it as like a, a the right kind of dare, you know, to be to then take that risk to to increase the commitment that we had to take the risk to not work for that two years where I did no rom coms. That was a huge risk to take that. But once I took the risk, look the hard part. I don't, for me, it's not as much about making the choice. The hard part is about when do you implement the choice? 
we usually, a lot of times, I think we know more than we let ourselves on that we know what it is we want to do. Yeah. But when do I implement this? But the other thing I'll say about this is, 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 and especially for the younger audience out there, is maybe you're saying, no, McConaughey, I don't know the answer right now. You're in a luxurious position to know some answers, but when do you want to implement them? I'm here younger going, I don't know what that answer is, what I want to do. Well, here's the other thing, and I write about this in the book, and it gets passed over. No one ever really talks about it. But a lot of times, it doesn't even matter as much which damn choice you make. Just make one and commit to it, and you'll find out. If you don't just make the choice and you, you'll find yourself sitting in limbo for like five years down the road going, oh, geez, I haven't moved yet. And I wish I just would have taken one choice. Even if it was the wrong one, I would have found out maybe six months down the line and then could have recalibrated. But sometimes it's not even about which choice we make. It's about like just make one and commit to it and find out. Did you read it when you went back? Like when it was published, did you read it as if it was for the first time, like cover to cover as a hardcover book? You know, I worked with editors who would go back and, you know, bring up a sentence or a section and ask me questions about it. So I'd go back. I wouldn't read the full book back then. But then when I, you know, when I first read it fully back was the audio version. And when I recorded the audio version and I read it one more time after that to myself, but I enjoyed the reading of the audio version because I got to the most because I got to perform all the characters and knew where the punchlines were mm-hmm. and knew where my... Know, what words I was stressing, what the meaning of each uh, each story was. Did you learn anything different from yourself when you're reading it back? That's a great question, and one I've thought about a little bit. You know, I when I read it back, I learned that oh, I actually had remembered more than I thought I forgot mm-hmm. about right. my life the last fifty years. I really thought, as I write in the beginning of the book, I write things down so I can't forget them. You know what I mean? If you and I we're in a conversation right now as we are, when y'all say something that turns me on, I'm going to go, oh, just a second. I'm going to write it down. And by writing that down, now I can forget it and be present in the conversation. I do it at dinner parties. I do it when I'm hanging out with people all the time. I write things down so I can forget them. So I'm not trying to play grab ass, trying to remember what they are. You know what I mean? You ever been yeah. in a conversation with somebody say something, and if you don't write it down the whole time you're talking about them, you're talking to them, you're like 80% there because 20% is like, I got to remember that thing. I got to remember that thing. And... I guess when when I read the book back, I was like, geez, all right, McConaughey, you actually remembered a lot more than you thought you forgot. There were things that, you know, like when I was 14 years old writing in my journals, I was essentially asking the same damn questions I'm asking right now at 51. I'm still asking those big existential questions of, hey, man, what are we doing here? Yeah. What's going on in this big show called life? What is my role in it? What are my responsibilities, man? What, 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 uh, uh, um, what's it all mean? I mean, those questions are never really answered. My questions have evolved since they were, since the questions I had at 14 years old. But I mean, I realized very much in reading the book that, that, you know, we don't, we don't ever really arrive at the ta-da moment of going, oh, I've got this all figured out. Oh, I get it. Oh, lickety split. Now what? No. Every time we 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 reach some sort of goal or get older or enrich our lives through relationships or maybe a career choice or maybe we're even able to do something we love we love to do in life, it doesn't decrease the amount of questions and options out there. It doubles down and quadruples them, man. You get more uh, questions and more things, more challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no real ta-da moment. That would be one of the things I really learned 
that I had a hunch about early on in life, but I have more of, I'm much more secure with feeling that that's an absolute truth now. Do you think that gets right. in the way then that's, of potentially being satisfied <clears throat> fully, whether it be as an artist or in other ventures of life? No, it can. It's a good, another good question. It can, if it can get in the way of being satisfied, if we believe that there's a result Tada moment. Because if you believe that there is a Tada moment, yeah. an absolute result, then you will never be satisfied right. because you're not, you're not, you're never going to reach what we're not going to reach anyway. Okay. But if we get in our mind that, Hey, there ain't no result. There's no end game here. It's all about process. Life right. is one big verb. That's it. So then we find the joy in never being satisfied in the constant process, knowing we're never going to arrive. Mm-hmm. You yeah. dig? Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean you don't reach goals along the way, but you did. Those are just rungs on the ladder. The ladder that never has a, uh, that never gets, you know, never stops going up or whichever way it's going. It's if, if we, I find if we click that and go, Oh, just stay in the race and commit to the chase. That's as good as it gets. That's all life is right there. Just stay in it. And look at us as a country. We're never going to have this utopia we like to talk about and dream about. We're never going to have perfect justice. It's not going to happen. What can we do, though? Like ourselves personally and like a country and a state, a, a people, you can make small increments and get a little bit better maybe each yeah. day and have life be some sort of ascension instead of just a flat line or what the hell's evolution for, right? And mm-hmm. if it can just get a little better each day and going, oh, I understand, I'll never get there. <laughs> there is no yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're right. just going to keep chasing it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's as good as it gets. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of kind of like distinguishing the fixed mindset from the growth mindset. And I think like when I look at things, I'm always trying to, what can I learn from it? How can I grow? And that pushes me forward like day by day. It's yeah. interesting. I, I feel like, you know, you're clearly a guy who who lives for the moment, right? Just keep just keep living in is reviewing the book as Josh asked you about. Is that a unique experience for you? Is that something you've you've always kind of been doing as as an artist? Like we're often told to reflect on our work, review our work, learn from it and grow from it. Um, but it seems just just through the kind of the book and, and hearing you talk here and there that like a lot of times the experience is enough, almost writing it down, acting in that in that particular scene is enough to then remember that experience. Is that kind of how you look at it? If it's a tr- if it's a tr- really true experience, you know, it's like it's like my wife will go, "You got selective memory." I'm like, "Well, I'm hoping, it, I, yes, I hope I have selective memory. I hope I'm remembering the stuff that is really true and worthy." Yeah, yeah the big parts. So I go do a scene or I write this book. I'm feeling it resonate. I'm feeling it like, man, I think you're onto something here. Yeah, kind of. I think you're writing something that's personal that will translate to people that other people can make personal to them that can have something to say about the human experience. I've got that hunch when I'm writing. I'm feeling that. And or if I do a scene and I and I nail it, I don't have to go back and go a lot of times. Oh, I've got to go write that down and remember it because I'm like, no, it's written. I'll it's in my lineage. I'll remember that. But at the same time, man, I got to say. We crossed those things. We were like, oh, this is so true to me right now. I don't need to write this down. I don't need to record it because obviously I'll remember remember. the rest of my life. And we got to watch it. We got to watch it because we look up six months down the line, a year down the line. And all of a sudden we're, we're in a, you know, we're off, we're off our frequency in life. And we we're trying to get back off. We're in a rut. And you're going like, well, what's that thing that I knew to be so true? And you're just like, we're grabbing ass for it. We're looking for it. 
And it's right. nice sometimes, you know, as I did with journaling, I was able in my life to go back when I was in a rut and say, well, what were you doing back in this sequence, these months or years in your life when you were rolling McConaughey and go back and look and actually read and go, oh, you had a few different habits. You were hanging out with different people, going to different places, getting more sleep, maybe drinking a different drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was able to recalibrate a little bit. It wasn't the answer, but it got me, helped get me back on track. Right. To finding a new calorie, finding a, a, my frequency again. Well, I think pers- perspective is an incredible teacher, right? I think that's one thing we've all kind of learned throughout the entire pandemic is even as the experience changes, our perspective changes. And then what we thought was going to end in three months now has lasted longer. But we're, we're, we're learning and we're growing with it kind of thing. Nick, yeah. Yeah. Nick you're going to say something. I was just going to, uh, you know, ask you, I mean, you, you lay out so many great stories and memories inside this book of yours, you know, and you share it with us. Was there a single story or moment, uh, you know, in your life that you could not write this book without? I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you all right now with the life I have. If I didn't have that year in Australia with the Dooleys. That was amazing. Epic. We got on FaceTime. We all read the book rather quickly. Uh, at a shocking, I'm not, I haven't read a book like that in a while that quickly. We all got on FaceTime and I was about to talk about the Australia thing. And Nick was like, dude, my heart was beating out my chest. I felt like I was watching true detective. Crazy. I felt like it was like literally I had the same thing as like I was watching Russ and Cole as reading that part. Really, really climactic, man. Well, you, you know, as y'all know, man, it was, it was a roller coaster to say it easily. It was uh, a time in my life where, you know, I was coming out of, as I wrote, man, I was coming out of a life of all green lights. I was rolling, yeah. you know, I, everything, the car, the girlfriends, my golf handicap, my, money in my pocket, and all that came to a screeching halt. And not only did it come to a screeching halt, but like, okay, you don't have that. It came with the extra added benefit of a family that was strange, to say the least. Yeah. Um, that I'm 18 turning 19, a time when young men and women are already going to, without even having that extreme circumstance, are going through a rite of passage of becoming a man or a woman in their life anyway, finding their identity. Well, I was forced to find it on my own. I just didn't have anything. I didn't have friends to rely on. I didn't have my dad to rely on. I didn't have my brothers right. to rely on. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a, my golf clubs. I didn't, I didn't have a job. I had nothing. So I went a little bit, you know, I went a little bit insane. Um, <laughs> not, but I trusted. Yeah, dude, that, you, you were eating uh, lettuce and ketchup, man. That must have been, that was a while. <laughs> Iceberg lettuce heads and that bottle of Heinz ketchup. Yeah. Here, I'm vegetarian. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's epic. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to your commitment. I mean, it, it translates in your life too. And like most people would have gone, you know, twenty days and say, "Fuck this shit, I'm getting out of here." But you, you, know, you committed. Yeah, well, we, you're also in a new place too, right? That you'd never, you've never traveled out of the country. I don't believe at that point. No. And so you're like, you're no. chalking it up to like cultural differences, basically. But then you find the other <laughs> yeah. families, and they're, you're like, wait, these people are kind of like me. What's going? They're on? They're having the best time, Where? barbecues and beer, man. <laughs> Where have I been? There's ribs on deck. Dude, I here's the thing, though, I. You know, I didn't sign that contract that they asked me to sign when I went away, which is I promise I won't come back unless there's a death. Blah, blah, blah. But I remember giving a handshake. And yeah, the handshake was something to be like committed to. But I also with every day that I went further into losing my mind over there, I had this little hunch, like this little badge of honor down here in my pocket going. Stick to it and you'll stick it to them. 
if you just if you just with each day you're adding up, you're actually paying a penance that is going to make you stronger. If you outlast this thing, if you cross the finish line and come back and go, I was never coming back. <laughs> Touche. I always felt like I'd have something, you know. So yeah. I was carrying a bit of a badge of honor of like, I'm de- uh-uh. they're not breaking me. They're not breaking me. They're not breaking me. That was part of it. Part of the commitment was I was saying, no, they're not going to break me. I'm not going back home with my tail between my legs. I want to figure this out. There's some sort of green light at the end of this red light. There's some sort of pot of gold at the end of this, into this freaking whatever I was in. It wasn't a rainbow. You know what yeah. I mean? But there's something <laughs> right. to be said. Like, well, I think, I think, I also, I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that a lot of 18 to 22 year old men specifically are striving for, right? Is that almost that like betters mentality where it's like when I, when I do what I told you I was going to do, yeah, I'm going to exactly. feel great about it because I know that I did it. And then it's interesting that if you Best look at life. like the timeline of your life, this is before you've had your conversation with your father where you, where you look at yourself and, and know that you are a man. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it, yeah. that's something that I think, you know, we're just past that, that point in our lives. We're all 25 years old, but we were all there 18 to 22 and we're still kind of there at a, at some point as well, where we're like, we want to prove everyone that's told us we're we're wrong or we're, we're not right, whatever it is, that we can do it. And I think that that's yeah, kind of mean, like that's that sentiment that that you were, you were holding on to. The the better's mentality is great because it's like I told as, you. As so, a young man, you like so. these are the as a young man, like these are the years where like you get some hair on your balls. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 they ain't so, peach fuzz anymore. No, nope. yeah. no more peach fuzz in no. the pecker. You know, yeah. let me ask you this because I've did this is a this is I don't write about this much in the book, but it's a theory I want to do. I want to work on in the next book. Yeah. So we are raised our, our the, the family unit, and let's I would even say uh, America um, as a country. So we're sort of raised under laws and regulations and expectations, yeah. right? You know, and our parents say, "Hey, do this and stay 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 within the lines here. This is how you do it," right? And if we stay on that line, we've got a good chance of succeeding. All right. America says, well, nah, this is how you do it. This is what you can do, can't do. This is the regulations on business. You know, stay within the lines. But the day that our parents are really happy, the day that I know my dad was like, yeah, was the day I called him and told him I'm not going to law school anymore. I'm going to film school because he heard his son say, I'm breaking out of everything that you've told me I must stay between the lines and I'm going my own way and I'm not even asking you permission, dad. And he heard in my voice when I asked him when I was, yeah, I was asking the question saying I want to, but I really wasn't asking him a question. Telling if him. I would have been, you know what I mean? He knew I wasn't bluffing. Right. No. And the day our parents see that you want to go your own way and you're not even asking me permission, you're not even bluffing is the day I think they go, yes. Actually, the same way as America, Steve Jobs goes his own way. You can't do that Yeah. in the private sector. Well, boom, he's doing it. I didn't ask permission. He goes his own way. America goes, capitalism goes, bravo. <laughs> you just broke the mold and went your own way. Way to go. But you, when you do it, you get one chance. You can't be bluffing. You know what I mean? Or your dad's going to go, no. Nah. If I'd have told my call, my dad said, I mean, I think I want to go to film. I don't know. I mean, I think I want to go to film school. He right. just said, Shot you down. get your ass back in law school and quit talking about goodbye. <laughs> Well, it's, you know it's, what I mean? Peter heard me waver. It's interesting you bring that up, actually, because I had a similar moment last December. We were we're all actors and podcasters now, like full time is what we do. But last December, Nick and I were waiting tables actually at the same restaurant. And I called my dad and I said, I don't know, I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling, I'm gonna quit my job 
and something's going to happen, but I know I can't be doing this anymore. And if I want to be truly happy and I want to not be comfortable. And I feel like if you're to be successful, you have to not be comfortable. You have to have a little uncomfortability. Right. If you want to be successful, that's the only way magic happens. It's the only way it's going to like, there's gotta be a fire under exactly. Ass, you know? the sparks don't, yeah. it's gotta happen. And I quit and I told them, I'm not asking you permission. I'm telling you, I'm leaving my job on this date, December 17th. Literally a week later, we were all employed by a podcast. It was like bizarre. What, what was your dad? What was your What's your dad feeling? That what, when you if you ask him about what he what he felt when you when you told him that he you didn't he could if he could tell you weren't asking permission that you're like he I'm doing this. His oh, whole thing is that he's a big sports guy, like we all are, right? He's a big sports yeah. guy, and he's like and my favorite player ever is Brady. Tom Brady, my first kid guy or girl is named Brady. I don't listen. That's the one thing I want saying with the girl. She could have anything she wants. My first kid, guy or girl, Tom Brady, last first name Brady. And he goes, if you have that mentality that Brady has two minutes to go with what you're about to go do and you really taking that next step, as long as you have that mentality, go for it. But if you don't, then you're going to be sorry. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, Brady, Brady uh, note that he, he told me years ago, which ladles into that right there. I said, I said, Tom, what are you? What are you doing? when you're your best out there. He goes, oh, anticipation. He goes, before the ball's even hiked, I've already seen the completion and know if it was, if we have a first down or whatever. And he goes, at least before I even let it go, I already know, I, I, I just see it. I said, what are you when you're, you're worst? He goes, we're up 28 to six. And I got an out, I got an out and down pattern. And just as I'm about to let go, I'm like, oh, if you miss it, miss it to the outside so it's not intercepted, which is a bit of a provincial thought, right? He goes, that's when I throw the interception. Preparing for the negative. Just keep, you know, no, no, no prevent. You play in the context of the game. Yeah. But you never want to play. You never want to be those Houston Oilers against uh, the Buffalo Bills and play that prevent defense in the second half and, and lose that. You know, because it's a mindset too. You go from haunches to heels. You drop back on your heels, and I'm, you know, I'm all for re being a, re a good reactor. Uh, uh, the Bernard Hopkins, a great counter puncher. Yeah. Floyd Mayweather, counter puncher. There's great value to that. You know, the Eastern philosophy of even jujitsu, move with the power. Mm -hmm. Don't you know react to it. I'm all for that many times, but a lot of times it is. I know for me, I've seen it and a lot of people succeed is, man, if you know what it is you want to do and you want to keep going at it and keep challenging yourself and making yourself uncomfortable in that by little increments along the way, and if you can do that for a while and endure that, you're gonna go you're gonna surpass a lot of other people on the way to get what you want. Yeah, you gotta run the ball, you gotta run the ball up the middle. You gotta take some hits. You gotta run yeah. up the gut and, and and throw it in their face. On the subject of football, there's a football team that the four of us very much love. Kind of elephant in the room this week. And I want to ask you something on it. There's three guys in the program that had a big week. Coach Herman, Coach Sarkeesian yep. now, and Sam Ellinger. Three different phases of life these guys are each heading into. If you were yeah. to, not that your word is gold, but if you were to implore each of them to read and take with them a section of your book, which section would you pick for each of these guys? Oh, geez. You guys are going to have to help me with this. Yeah, uh, we got you. We got your back. Help me out. So what are we talking? So Herman's moving on. Yeah. Um, his plans did, you know, he, 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 this was his North Star. I'm sure he came in to the University of Texas with an owner's mentality. Mm -hmm. I want to own this. I want to be the coach at University of Texas 
for the next 20 years until I retire, yeah. right? I would, right? I would guess that was his mentality. Um, that didn't work out. We're four years in. He's moving on. Um, he was not a he was not a uh, a failure per se. The record is pretty good. It wasn't. Right. We wouldn't say. We wouldn't say. Oh well, maybe not good enough. Not where we want to be. But he's going to move on, and he's going to get another good job. Yeah. Whether that's the HC or an OC, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what he wants to do, he'll have that ability. Mm-hmm. And him coming his four years of Texas didn't take him into the debit section so far, where he's like going. Uh, I got to go back and find a high school. He's yeah. not doing that. Right. Um, so maybe him, and maybe him, he would be turn the page. Yeah, exactly. Turn the page. He's got to be right. And yeah. that came and that started with a Daryl Royal uh, uh, quote, you know, turn, turn, turn the page. He is faced with the inevitable. He's got to get relative. This is how I open up the book about how I think we can approach so many things. The inevitable thing is he's no longer the football coach at the university of Texas. So, Okay, that's inevitable. How long? How long does he go through this period and go? Damn it! It didn't work out how I wanted to. That's got to happen because you got to go through a little bit of mourning. I'm just pissed off. It didn't work out right. Yeah. Then how quickly do? How quickly does someone in his position get to? Okay, why? What happened? What was in my control? What was out of my control? What parts of it were in my control? If I could do, did I learn? He's still a young man. What can I learn? What did I thought I know knew that I actually didn't quite know? Maybe what did I try to pull off that maybe I didn't pull off as well that I could control? Let me work on those and evolve and be a better coach that way. And then other things, realizing maybe there's a lot more out of my control than I thought there was. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to keep myself up overnight over this, but I'm going to realize that change happens from without as well as from within. So just Rick being aware that that's a fact is another way and part of evolving as a person and whatever your, your job is going forward. Um, so yeah, turn, turn, turn the page and say, how can I grow? How did, how did I get better? What did I learn? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and he's still young, so he's got a while now. What's Sam, Sam, I think. I feel like he's he's in Australia right now, you know. He's he was he was uh, the you know the stud coming out of high school, you know, like you, and now you know he's he's about to be thrown in the fire in the NFL, and you know maybe he becomes a fifth round draft pick and has to fight for a job, and he's going to have to learn some things about himself. Well, he will, but Sam, you know, the thing about Sam is Sam's a guy who's obviously got a long view, right. meaning like if he goes to the NFL and that doesn't work out, Sam Ellinger's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right, we've you, you, we we've we've known him from afar even long enough to go. Oh, there's a there's a guy who's going to win in life somehow. Yeah, he's going to win in life if he doesn't end up playing a career. Here's also somebody who, for whatever his abilities are, going into NFL, he's going to maximize his abilities. Yeah, uh, and if there's a chance for it to work, he's going to make it work. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and leaving it all out on the table. It did not, and 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 if per se it did not. He's going to succeed in whatever he does. He's already got a, a, a longer, wider view that, you know, and then this is interesting. You know, when you sometimes you tell people, oh, well, that's not saying he has an out. Very different. Because mm-hmm. if you go in, if you tell yourself, oh, I've got a safety net, I've got an out, uh-uh, it ain't going to work, right? Yeah. So he's still going to go give 100% to go pursuing his dream to be a quarterback in the NFL. But he's just 
talk about a guy who can pivot. He's just got an innate ability where in life he if that, that when it when and if that either works and he retires or doesn't work and he doesn't no no longer play doesn't play for as long as maybe he he, he would want to. He will be able to quickly pivot and look the rest of the world in the eye and go, what do I have in front of me? How do I want to approach it? I've been aware of what's going on. I know what I know what I value. I know what I give a damn about. Uh, I got an idea of what my stamp in society is going to be. And even even if he goes on to be a highly successful NFL quarterback, he's already a guy who wants to have more of a stamp on life than just being a successful NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. So he's got that he's got that going for him. That's an innate ability when we talk about uh, biology and giddy up. You know, he's got the biology and he's got the giddy up. Yeah, right. Totally. You know, um, now we got we got start we got uh, the start coming in. Baby Sark. Here we go. Have you met Sark before? No, I haven't. No. Okay. I have so, not. I look for. I look. I look forward to it. You know. The question. Question. I. I. I look forward to to, to asking. Sark is this. All right. So here we are. You're at University of Texas in Austin. From facilities to talent, here you are. It's all right here. Here's the keys to the proverbial Ferrari. That can be an intimidating thing. We've got these stars, three-star, four-star, five-star. I think we all know that to some capacity, whatever they are out there, rivals, orange, but all the people that, 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 that give players stars. Yeah. Rivals 24 seven. It's not a hundred percent based on this is that that's why they're actually that great of a player. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, it, it, it's so I want, I want to ask him if you had it, what if you had the first 90, you get to pick 90 high school players and you get the first 90. In the United States of America, pick them, make your roster, and tell me why. Because I guarantee you, that's not saying, oh, just give me the 95 stars. No, no, no. You want a coach and a staff that goes, I don't – yeah, I. you want a coach and staff that, yes, sees the excellence in a true five-star. But you want also want a coach and a staff that goes, there's this two-star kid over here. Is exactly the kind of dog I want. Yeah. In this position of being, I don't know, an O lineman or a wider or whatever. You know, there's certain places you go, I'm not, I'm all for, hey, a real five star, you damn right. Go get it. But it's, it's, there's more, we got to have a different gradient. University of Texas, I think we need to say, no, I want, I want a six star. And a six star may actually be a three star, but has intangibles. That, that these other 10 five-stars don't even have. And I'm going to bet on those intangibles because that's what I want at this position and the kind of player I want at the University of Texas. J.J. So Watt was a two-star. everyone else grading your stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Forget everyone else grading their five-stars. I tell all my coaches, don't look at any of their stars. Joe, look at players on the field and tell me what – define what you want. A, uh, OC, DC, D-backs, what you want, kind of player you want to play that position and keep your eyes looking at that on a field and don't give a damn what anybody else says about them or rates them. What do you see? Mm-hmm. And what do you want on the field? And what kind of players and team do you want to see the University of Texas long football team being? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think inevitably the college football like space, because you have you have at max four years, 
unless there's a red shirt or an injury red shirt or something like that, you have a timeline, right? And so like you want to ensure that these big programs to compete like Texas every single year, you have to have guys that are staying, that are not behind other other big like five-star quarterbacks, five-star wide receivers, five-star running backs, those kind of guys. You have to have guys that are working their way up through the program who buy in and stay in. They stay locked in. I think like that's where you get the kid who's a two-star who, who knew he grew up in a small town in Texas, but he's damn good at football and he loves to play and he'll do whatever it takes to to wear that burn orange and succeed in those colors. I mean, I think that that's the, that's the model, right? I hear you. And it's harder today, man. I mean, we, we now have a version of free agency in college football, the transfer portal. I mean, yeah. man, oh, man, it, it's tough. It Just a few years ago, it seems like, oh, you can leave after three years? Well, okay. Now it's like, transfer after one, one yeah. after none, after You get two, a waiver sign, you can play three. again. And how many of those players are going like, oh, I'm playing second string. And, I, I mean, in high school, I was the stud. I should be playing when actually maybe the truth is, no, you should be working harder to be able to play. And they're going, well, I, I'm, I'm going somewhere where I can play. I, I'm for the transfer portal i just don't i don't want these young men to be irresponsible with yeah to where they're not holding themselves to the to the line you know um yeah i think texas i think our football team and our culture needs to have our look reality is not does not is not meeting our expectations yeah of course okay? we need to have that let me tell you this i go to work on a film called killer joe william freaking the director never heard this before Day one, before we shoot our first scene of the movie, he tells everyone, everybody, new rule. All the actors around. He goes, one take. No more. Well, we all go, <gasps> you know, you catch your breath. Your backside gets tight. Well, you can either do two things with that. You can either contract and go, oh, my God, I only get one take. What am I going to do? Or you can go, <laughs> let's go. One take. Fucking let's go. <laughs> one take. You know, a one take mentality, which is <clears throat> let's come to University of Texas and say, it's us against the world, man. We're not looking to fight against the world. We understand that we're under the major spotlight. That no nobody we're we're everybody's biggest rival. Well, come on, take that as a one either you 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 clinch and contract under that pressure, or you go, that's exactly how I want it. Yeah. And you have to mean that because we've seen our teams, we've seen players. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Totally. You know what I mean? It ain't coming out going, bring it on unless you really mean Don't come a bluffing. Again, don't come a bluffing. Yeah, don't come right. out frozen. You know what I mean? No, no, no. <laughs> Show it and mean it to your core. And mean it. And how can you mean it in those dog days of summer when you're getting ready, when no one's watching? You know what I mean? You got to mean it so much before you it's like you don't just you can't just meet it in the biggest games with the biggest crowds you got to mean it when you're at home in your garage in the off season and nobody's watching yeah walter payton mentality i mean nobody would yeah. work out with walter payton like the people would go work out with him once and never do it again and strictly because the guy worked out harder than anybody mm -hmm. all and there's a reason i mean it's a reason lebron tells his kids team i saw on instagram a great video of lebron telling his his son's team he goes look some of the best players in nba history came off the bench but they played their role if you don't want to be in a role don't be on a team go play golf go play tennis right yeah i mean it, it's it's very true i think we needed us against the world mentality and you know it, it, this is a not a touchy subject but it, it it can get slandered if it's not 
if, if, if it's not approached the right way. It is a team sport. Absolutely. Yeah. But none of us really do anything unless it's personal. Meaning a team sport is made up, works the works. A team sport is most successful when each individual is putting him, him, his or her own self on the line to be the best they can be at their position on that play in context of that game each down. So it is an individual responsibility. And if each individual does it collectively, you have a better team win. This is also what I'm for as far as how I think we make better people and how, and, and help the country out. I'm challenging people to be be better at their own individual values. Be more competent at your own individual values. Challenge more people to look themselves and ourselves in the mirror and individually say, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit better. Now, enough yeah. of us do that. We collectively as a team succeed better. You know what yeah. I mean? So it has to be the individual has to toe themselves on the line as well as going, yes, I'm playing for the man next to me and the man to the other side of me. Yes, I'm playing. I'm part of a collective. It's more than the name on the back of my jersey. It's about this Longhorn insignia because we're a team and we that's what we expect of ourselves. But individually, we got to each toe our own line and flick our own switch. You can't flick my switch for me, and I can't flick it for you. I can try and coach you up. Yeah. You can try and pump me up, but I can't do it for you. And you right. can't do it for me. Those coaches can't do it for those young men. And it, 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 you got to have pr people that individually go, I, without anyone, without any other cops or coaches watching, I expect this of myself. I feel like so many, so much of what happens today and like that, that term that gets thrown around all the time, which I hate is like the cancel culture, right? And it's like so many people trying to hold others accountable for themselves when they need to hold themselves accountable right. first before right. we, before we work together, we have to work on ourselves. Matthew, I actually had the pleasure of, of watching you speak to the Texas football team in 2014. I was a walk on and um you know you actually preached that you said that every single one of you you know you guys are playing for something different you know you know you find out you know it's an individual thing where you guys are you know playing for your coach or playing for yourself or playing for your family you know like but you guys all come together and meet your individual expectations and come as a, as a team and i remember that i mean that's something that you know you always preach you actually said something else that has always stuck with me that was in 2014 when coach strong was there um you know you said um when you moved out to LA, one of the things, you know, the advice that you gave people, any situation you find yourself in, act like you belong there, you know, and that's always stuck with me. And that's given me the courage to come out here and be an actor. And I want to thank you for that. Well, man, you're, you're welcome. It, that goes along with that line I have that I came to me after my father passed away, be less impressed and more involved. Right. And whatever we're doing, you know, and that does not mean disrespect the rest of the world or not have people we look up to or things we look up to or leaders we follow. That does not mean that. It just means that sometimes if we hold mortal things, people, places, success, fame in such reverence, or, hey, how about the girl? That you're like, oh my gosh, man. I, if you hold that your girlfriend in such reverence, you can't really have a, she's not really getting to know you. You're not really giving you're not really giving her the chance to be herself it's sort of it happens in relationships if i think i've seen it happen hell i've oh, done yeah. it i think my girlfriend is wonder woman and she thinks i'm mr incredible well hell neither one of us can live up to that it ain't fair to either one of us that relationship right. is never gonna work you know what i mean so 
in reverence of fame or success or if 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 one of you are so excited that in, in, in reverence of talking to Matthew McConaughey right now, you're not going to be able to ask really cool, cool questions and be involved in the conversation, right. right? You can't sink in and listen. You can't, yeah, you can't right. engage. And, then, and, hence, and hence, I'm not actually getting to know you if yeah. that's how you approach me. You know what I mean? So we got to go. I res- really respect this situation, but now that I'm in it, I got to look it in the eye and be involved in it and be involved in it because that's better for whoever you're talking to, whatever you're going for, your relationship with your career, another person, whatever. It's better for them and you. Yeah, yeah then you're because then you get back into the grab ass and phase if you're th- putting these people on these esoteric pedestals and you're looking at that or you're putting situations on pedestals and you're overvaluing and you're getting too hyped up and then you're just not you know, you're not in the moment for lack of a better phrase. But as you said, you're not grinding. You're not uncomfortable. You, no, you you're don't not, do the you're work not either. You're uncomfortable in the right way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Being uncomfortable, lost in the reverence for something is not a constructive discomfort. It's sort of a disassociation, disassociated discomfort. But to get involved in something that you're like, man, I may be a little bit above my skis here. I may be outrunning my coverage, but I'm in it. But I'm, but I'm, but I'm going to stay in this thing. That's a, good kind of discomfort because you'll find your way because you put yourself in the damn proverbial game you know and trust me i've been in positions where i'm like um i'm in over my skis here um i better not open my mouth right now and prove that i don't know what the hell i'm talking about is there a role Uh, you felt that way with like an acting role maybe no i've just had i've had i've had been in situations or meetings where I was purported to be in a position to know more about something than I actually did. It wasn't for lack of preparation. I was just all of a sudden like, oh, oh, okay. I, I got a lot more I need to learn before I'm going to open my mouth right now. So instead yeah, of opening Spanish, my mouth, <laughs> you know, yeah. Or just, instead of opening my mouth right now and proving to the room that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, I'm going to shut up and sit over here and go, and just maybe make them wonder if I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Keep them guessing, man. Wear the long no, sleeves for a reason. More tricks. Okay, I got away with I got away with that. I slipped into slipstream. Now I got to go to work so I can go back to the next one and be more involved in it. You yeah. know what I mean? And they walk there, away and they're like, course. McConaughey's got a quiet intelligence about him. I, re- I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so mystic, yeah, yeah, such a sage. There's a great, there's a great question that we actually really thought of last night that I really want to get to. I know we're running out of time, but. You know, there's a lot of different Easter eggs inside your book. And, you know, there's a lot of things that that really tie into all the roles you've played. You know, you wanted to be a lawyer when you grew up. You you started in the Lincoln Lawyer and you were a lawyer in a time to kill. You know, you had your time in Africa. Then you did Sahara. You know, you always want to be a father and then you do Interstellar. And that's the whole underlining meaning of that of that movie. I mean, are you finding yourselves in those roles on purpose? Like those are the you're fulfilling, like everything that makes you as a man. It's it, I think it's twofold because. You know, I had a great mentor, Penny Allen, for 19 years, who was my teacher, who taught me what acting was, taught me the craft, taught me what my rights were. And she would always say this. She would say, like, you know, you're very good, Matthew, at going after what you want, like setting the goal, writing the headline and going after it. She goes, but make sure you're given enough credit and not seeing that. Make sure you're not thinking that it's coincidence that you're drawing certain roles. And that's a little bit of that target draws the arrow. We, 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 we draw certain things to us of where we are if we're being true to ourselves. Yeah. Those things sort of do come to us. So there are times to be that spider in the web and just wait for 
and realize what's coming at you in life. And if you can see, I found that if I can see some consistency and going, oh, these things, what's strong, what's coming to me is actually not stuff I'm actively seeking, but who I actively am being in my life. And that's, and somehow I didn't know the rest of the world could tell, but evidently they could. So those roles came my way. Um, yeah, it's no coincidence. You know, something like interstellar, there's just so many parallels father after i've just become a father i was talking about it to to these guys i was like just your kind of travels around the world as almost like an earthly astronaut basically for such a long time where you're like i gotta get out of la i gotta go just be in another place and and travel and push the boundaries totally yeah you become buddies with woody harrelson and then you become a weed dealer and the gentleman it just (laughs) it it just all really fits you know You know, I had to I had to bring up Interstellar because I heard you on JJ Reddick, and all I gotta say is Interstellar. That's all. <laughs> Interstellar. Yeah, uh, man. McConaughey. We'll let you rock and roll, but we always ask all our guests the same question to end the show because we are a sports show at the at the very core. Could be from you playing, could be from you watching, any which way. What is your favorite sports memory? Oh, that's easy. Oh, five national championship. Oh, yeah. Let's go. There you go, baby. Easy, easy, easy. But Hollywood, game, right? Hollywood couldn't have written it. Hollywood couldn't have written it. And we're going in against the unbeatable dynasty. And I don't know if you guys, I was there live, so I felt the ebb and the flow and the drama of that event. I mean, that, I, was, I was exhausted, like literally ex- catching my breath after the game, just from the emotional flow. But if you ever guys get a chance to watch that, it's it's Dan Fouts and who's the old who's the other commentator? The old Southwest Conference commentator, right. old Nelly. No, oh. old Nelly. Whoa, Nelly. Oh, Whoa. we'll get Google going. You keep rolling, man. Okay. Listen to listen to them call the game for three and a half quarters. They were never given Texas a chance. It was always like, well, this Texas team's really here to they're really fighting hard today. It was like fate to complete that USC in their minds was gonna win. Mm-hmm. They didn't really call the game. They called the undeniable expectation of the game that just USC dynasties, this is it. They're they're the team. And then slowly about three and a half in the in the fourth quarter, they start to go, Well, I mean, I think we 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 we, we really got a game here. And we were like going, no kidding. <laughs> Are you watching this? Was it Keith yeah. Jackson? Is that who it is? Yes, Keith Jackson. There we oh, go. Nelly. Good Keith old Jackson Google. Dead. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was a magical moment. And it's one we watch it every year before the first game. We all get together and watch it just to get us stoked. Because one day uh, we'll be able to relive that as like true like Longhorn fans. Dude, I've told this story before real quick, but yeah. they had a uh, TV timeout as they have in those big championship games. Yeah. We were driving. Uh, past the 50, um, I don't know, down by, I don't know, 8, 12, something like that. Um, TV timeout, they bring out three USC alumni on the 20-yard line back on the other end of the field to say, hey, put a spotlight on them because they were playing in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Right? Bench Young in the TV timeout takes his helmet off and runs down there and it shakes all their hands. And it's like third and sixth in that game. <laughs> shakes all their hands, man. That's how present he was. And how we're talking about being not impressed, less impressed, and more involved. That's how involved in the moment he was, that the moment wasn't bigger than him, that he was actually able to go, oh, you know what would be a cool thing to do in this next, because I got 30 seconds? 
go down and congratulate these three older gentlemen that are alumnus of the school I'm playing. It just yeah, it just goes back to like something like this where we're getting to interview even you or anybody really where you get to go perform or teach. We know you love teaching uh, and then writing and then him playing football. It's just that joy of doing it and letting that be present in the situation. That's why he can do things like that. And it definitely, uh, it allowed the rest of those guys who I'm sure were still on the sideline. They're watching Vince, their quarterback, their leader, and that they get a little, they get assured, right? That they're in good hands, that he's coming back. He's got everything under control level-headed and, looking, yeah. and he did man. clearly he did because that's and he that, did that run unbelievable yeah all right mcconaughey thank you for your time brother we appreciate you we'll be looking out for Y'all the next too, book man. the next movie all the good stuff carry on and we'll see we'll see you there yeah Let's big hook em vibes baby right. just keep living hook man all right now that was sweet yeah yeah it was <laughs> it was a good one Real fun. It was very fun. Yeah, cool really, day for yeah. us. Yeah, uh, great, grateful for him for uh, yeah giving us some time and, and talking about a bunch of fun stuff to his PR Nicole Goat. Yeah, that was that was great. Really appreciate her uh, putting books. us in touch with him and for everyone out there. Highly encourage reading the book. Yeah, please um, read the book. The three of us really enjoyed it. A lot of great lessons in there. We mentioned on the pod, but obviously. You know, one thing Matthew loves doing is teaching as well. And yeah. I certainly learned a thing or two. Um, yeah. And it's uh, a lot of stuff going on right now, but hopefully, uh, you know, pay attention to what you can do and uh, try and do the best you can and, uh, and love your neighbor and yeah, be, no, be a kind person. Experience a lot of love on New Year's Eve. And I think that <laughs> should be uh, in a good way, you know, just friend love. And I think that should be a big thing. It's going to be a big That's thing. such a for leading me. statement that you would put out for the, the listeners. Like, Oh guys, Josh uh, yeah. experienced a lot of love on New. I don't know what that. I don't know what that means. Um, trickle, he got yeah. No, I, it was not. Apparently, no, he, no, uh, it was none of that. It was <laughs> started the <laughs> New Year off right. No, not necessarily, but in the sense that like, there was did a you lot get of, a New Year's kiss? Do you not have to disclose who it was from? Yeah, I got several. That was my point. Wow, and 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 not just chicks, dudes yeah. too, because friend love <laughs> my whole, is my whole point being, and I'll nice. admit it on the pod, the McConaughey show. Because that's what the world should be. Straight up love. And that's what McConaughey was preaching with us today. We're talking with us about. We and thought about for, for a hot second doing the, the show completely completely naked. Buck naked with some bongos in front of us. But We should have. There's times like that. We've almost done. Next time we have an inkling to do a little extracurricular for the show. Can we say the other one? <laughs> we, yeah, I don't care. We, we, we were considering we were dropping acid, acid and we, taking shrooms while we Bill talked to Bill Walton. Yeah, that was. And I, I always our say. Our nerves got the best of us. Our nerves we, got the best of us. But yeah. we that third time is the charm and we'll do it. We'll commit. Um, but after this, listening to that guy call multiple college basketball games after him coming on the podcast. I, I, oh, if we brought right. him back on. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a, I'd 100%. A, tab and a, a tab and a half away. <laughs> Cowboy Neil at the wheel. <laughs> I'd be I'd, I'd be riding shotgun. Uh, but serious though, McConaughey, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. This uh, this was a great one. Really special for us. A lot of hard work and a lot of support culmination. A lot of burn orange. A lot of burn orange. Um, and yeah, the fans out there, drag both feet inbounds, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they free, and hit your free throws wide toss. Cause they are free. Cause they're free. We out ya. We love ya. Just keep living. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player. And we in here talking about practice.
Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History title. Tie game. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.